masters almost surely have a plan There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man Until we've thoroughly tested every last close-chested view Find the more you think you know, the less you really do Where would we be without THC? We know the lying to us just don't know to what degree Where would we be without THC? The highest side chat Greg Carl Wood and Company Go, Hireside Chatters. Welcome to the Year of the Dog, which you just heard is the Plate Scrapers version of the THC intro. Big thanks to those guys for doing that. Always nice to have a little diversity without losing the familiarity. I'll probably flip back and forth between those two from time to time, along with any other quality covers that I get along the way. But man, it is so great to be back in the swing of things. I was pretty bedridden with the plague for the first week of the year. Nothing a little vitamin C couldn't knock out. But we also had some technical issues that you might have noticed, and sadly, the fan-made THC app is officially broken. It's just too outdated at this point. But there is good news, and that is that plus people who need a better iPhone solution, they now have one. The native podcast app now accepts premium feeds, and it works exactly like we'd want it to. If you need instructions on how to get it working, there is a great step-by-step breakdown on the FAQ help page for THC+. Know that. And so I'm psyched. Minor internal crisis quickly solved. And here we are. I can finally emerge from my sick den and things are looking up. No pun intended, of course, because we're kicking off 2018 with the return of our Skywatcher and Construct Deconstructor extraordinaire. And I think you're going to love it. I just wanted to pop in and tell you why you were hearing a different intro, why the show's taking me so long to get out, and what was going on on the technical side, but after the pages and pages of emails, I might have talked to each of you individually anyway. So why stall any longer? Park your ass and pack your glass or let your mind go free while the body works that old broken-in routine, 9 to 5, whatever gets you through the day. And here's the plate scrapers one more time to fire off that proverbial flare gun and kick this thing off like only they can. Here we go, censorship, solar lies, hidden lands in the big construct, breaking down the complete control of time and space with our main man Crow on the other side. Boom. Chatters, we live in a time where people are questioning all aspects of reality, from the narratives we see on the nightly news to the sun, moon, stars, and the earthly environment itself. And how can we not when we know the school system we're forced into is crafted with deception rather than a true attempt to cultivate the best and brightest? We know think tanks and backdoor cabals have steered our culture to their liking for years, 
We've heard thousands of accounts of strange objects in the sky, but have been stonewalled when it comes to answers, and we don't even know how to feed or take care of ourselves on the most basic of levels. It seems all we can really do is observe the holes in the official story while the world around us drinks the proverbial Kool-Aid of our consensus reality cult, because it's clear nearly every aspect of time and space has been twisted for control. But lucky for us, we have a light in the darkness with his cameras aimed at the sky, a man working to peel the onion of lies down to its very core. He's been here plenty of times before, making the short list of guests whose appearances exceed what I can count on one hand. The Papa Bear of the Lunar Wave, Mr. Belief is the enemy of knowing himself, my friend and yours, breaking in the new year, Crow. Welcome back to the higher side. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for having me, Greg. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, great to have you here. Everybody loves a crow show. And I know you've been busy doing your thing, and it's been a while since we've recorded a show together, but you mentioned that you've been having some YouTube troubles, which really doesn't surprise me. But we hear people harping on about net neutrality while alternative voices are slowly moved to the back of the bus or kicked off entirely. And of course, Google is really nobody's friend, but we all seem to keep feeding the beast anyway. Give us an update on these censorship issues you've been facing this year, because it seems to be right near the top of the list of things you've been dealing with. Well, I got community guideline strikes. They accused me of bullying on two clips that had been up for more than two years. And then they finally terminated my YouTube channel over a lunar wave clip that I didn't even shoot, by the way. A guy in North Carolina shot the clip that got my, my uh, channel terminated. And I had nearly 80,000 followers at the time. Uh, it was kind of stunning the way they did it. And I had some contacts that could talk straight to Google that were running the third-party person running the ads uh, on my YouTube channel. Not that you make any money. I don't even know why I bother. You don't make any money. YouTube makes all the money on the ads. But I hired them because they have a direct line to uh, to YouTube. They tried. I tried. I fought the strikes. Everything failed and I was told that I was terminated and then to top it off we got an email that I shared on my podcast with Jason that basically accused me of using hate speech that I'd crossed a zero tolerance policy for hate speech and just to be clear I don't engage in hate speech I don't harm any living thing in this world I live very carefully in my life not to injure other people and to top it off two of those strikes were for bullying which is also nonsense but lo and behold I went out on every platform that would have me. As a matter of fact, you and I had scheduled back then. We just had to reschedule so many times, but the, the community stood up, man. Hundreds, thousands, I don't even know how many people complained to YouTube. One day, um, when I had to cancel with you last time, I had the flu. This is when I get the email that says, you've got a copyright strike on a Greg Carlwood clip. And I'm all, what? I don't even have a channel. How can I have a strike? Hmm. They had nailed one of the old interviews we did, some part of the music. It was not actually a strike, but a copyright, whatever you call a not strike. I log in, and my channel's live again. Mm. Um, and over the following days, I kind of pieced together that enough of the community stood up for free speech that that channel was reinstated. So there it is, flat out, man. People do have power. And if you see people terminated, you should stand up for any channel, in my view, that gets terminated. Yeah, I mean... It's interesting that they brought you back. You know, why not keep you gone? I guess there were enough complaints, but are you going to stop giving them your content and your audience? I mean, we're talking about Google here. Um, this is what we're doing. Uh, we, You know, I've got, I don't know, roughly 80,000 subs at this point. According to them, I've lost over 37,000 or 30,000 subs over the life of my channel, according to their statistics. 
which are questionable. Uh, we post the first hour, like you do, of our podcast on on YouTube, and we don't censor it. And I've stated flat out, as a matter of fact, most episodes I state out in the beginning or down in the description that we will speak freely, we will not censor, and we injure no one because I'm I'm facing them down. Uh, they have no right to tell me I've engaged in hate speech. That's a flat out lie. They have no right to tell me I've bullied people. If I've bullied someone, there's an injured party in this world. Produce them. You know, that's the way I look at it anyhow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask, well, who did you bully? But exactly. of course, these things are always vague and they never have real answers. Maybe NASA was bullied because they don't like the lunar wave. I don't know. It's a crazy <laughs> thing. I didn't even I didn't even shoot that lunar wave. They turned and terminated my channel for a guy in North Carolina shot it and said, hey, will you run this? So a lot of people could see it. And I said, sure. Um, but anyhow, I don't know, you know, do you know who Randy from Houston is? That was one of the other clips they nailed hmm. and he is the most polite man you'll ever meet in, in your life. That was one of the clips they nailed was an interview I did with Randy from Houston. Who's also shot the lunar wave. Hmm. Well, when we know the internet was built as a military project for surveillance and data collection, <laughs> can we really be that surprised? <laughs> I, I guess not. But nonetheless, people need to demand better. I mean, come on. We are. They always refer you to community guidelines. Well, we are that community, right? So we should have a voice in this. And truly, the really ridiculous part of this is, is while I was waiting for my channel to be wiped out because I had two bullying strikes, I get two copyright strikes on International Space Station video I'd posted trying to show folks why that's all nonsense. Believe it or not, the copyright holder was Believe Entertainment on International Space Station video. Mm. But they, they nailed those in the same way they nailed the interview we did for some music you had run, apparently. But there's no strike. It goes to show if something's a problem, they could just remove the video. Uh, if they had some, per they, they always point to pedophilia and all these other things, terrorism, trying to, you know, get people to lose their minds and quit thinking. The truth is, is anyone goes into any forum on a Google product and starts talking in a pedophilic way, someone in that community is going to flag them more than just one person. They could be removed easily. That's not what they see. Well, that's not what we see here. And that clearly points to the fact that they're trying to control what's being said. As a matter of fact, Two days after the Vegas event, and by the way, that was the last clip on the podcast we posted covering Vegas that they terminated my channel, locked me out, then terminated it. We know for a fact that the algorithms at Google and Facebook were re rewritten to catch any conversation of people talking about Vegas. So this is just wholly about controlling speech and censorship, in my view. You're so right. And you're spot on when you say people should demand better. It just sucks because we don't. If we did, then 90% of web traffic wouldn't be going to Facebook, Google, and Twitter. Like, that's the data. You can't say it any other way. We just, we complain, but these are private companies that don't really owe us anything. And it's sad that we've given them so much power. But I guess if YouTube can't be trusted, we got to stop putting our content on that platform because we're cutting off our nose despite our face. There are kind of these new alternatives, like I'm sure you've heard of Steemit, but there's also DTube, which is kind of part of that network, which is DTube stands for Decentralized Tube. And it's these basically social media and YouTube networks that are now on the blockchain-based technology. And, you know, they're small and new. They do have some bugs and they don't have the biggest library of content or the largest community. But if the content creators go there and they do pay you for your content, you actually, instead of a view counter, you have a money counter of how much you've made. But 
if content creators go there, so will the viewers. And then we can be saying we're doing something different. Then we can have a little bit of our power back. Well, let, let me take the opposite side of that argument, which is actually my view. Look, we're coming to a time when corporations are going to control all information systems. And that's a problem. Anyone who goes look looks at the definitions for free speech is going to learn very quickly if they didn't already know that basically it's saying your government can't abridge your free speech, all right? Well, there's a problem with even that because we know this is not the United States of America. This is the United States. It's a corporation. So basically, even though we have these laws saying government can't abridge free speech, free expression, this type of thing, uh, it's a corporation that makes the laws in this country. So how are they any different from Google? I would say to hell with any open forum for public speech to hide behind I own this. I'm a private corporation. You want to yield, use the shield of corporation to abridge free speech? I'll take you on. I've got a problem with that. And even though we know when we go to a job, that corporation that we work at can, in fact, abridge our free speech while we're on their clock. So, I mean, it is a dicey argument. But my main point here is we are nanoseconds away from every single major purveyor of information from being a corporation. If we let this stand, I'll tell you what, the kids that are not born yet or the kids that are just born now, they're going to live in a damn different world than we do where the what they're allowed to search on the Internet, what they're allowed to say on the Internet is going to be a whole different world than you and I grew up in. And I'm not down with it. I'll fight against that tooth and nail to the day I drop. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's technological zombification and slavery. I was just listening to a guy the other day and he made the point. I forgot his name. Uh, he was on Joe Rogan's podcast, but he made the point. If you could go back 20 years and make yourself the offer of a smartphone and say, oh, you're going to be able to do things more conveniently, you'll have maps, you'll have text, you'll have access to entertainment in your pocket, but you're also going to be bugging yourself. You're going to be putting a surveillance device in your own pocket. You're going to develop an addiction that's worse than nicotine, and it's going to dominate your life and your thought cycles. Would you make that deal? Because if you didn't know what you were missing, you'd probably be like, fuck that. Can you imagine people in the 80s saying, yeah, I want to bug myself. Please put a device on <laughs> me to track me. They wouldn't do it. But you give them no. access to Netflix and they're all eager to do it. Well, I, I mean, pe people who have not taken the time to really assess where we're at, because it's a bit like the frog in boiling water, isn't it? In the 80s, we would not have stood for this. In the 70s, people would have been whipping out their shotguns and going out to their porch um, with surveillance at the level we see it now. But from the 80s forward, it was implemented slowly. I can even show you clips of Steve Jobs using using the language that he hopes to seduce the people into using his products. But the main point I, I, I guess I would point out here is as far back as 1999, we've got people like the CEO of Sun Microsystems standing up and saying, guess what? Privacy no longer exists in this world. And by the way, uh, if you give us all your data, I think it was maybe the Google CEO that said this, if you give us all your data, we'll give you all these cool things like free email maps and all the things you just mentioned. But there's no getting around it, man. Data is king now. Used to be a time when you were alive and, and I was, I'm a bit older than you, but in my lifetime when cash was king, that's no longer king. Data is king now. And with social media and all the things we've been referencing here, someone has a more complete map of humanity than has ever been drawn. And what that does is with algorithms that were created maybe as far back as the late 1800s, certainly into the early 1900s, they can predict the future.
It's a bit like a weatherman uh, trying to predict the weather for tomorrow, and he gets it wrong. And everyone says, what the hell, man? You told us it was going to be sunny today, and we all got rained on. And the weatherman turns around and tells all the people, look, man, if I could put a weather sensor every 15 feet all over the face of this world, I'd get it right 100% every day. It's a bit like that. You see all these data points that are being collected, but when they're data mined and put in algorithms, they can predict the future in a lot of cases to maybe a 98 or 99% certainty. It's it's crazy to even consider what's going on with all our data. <laughs> well, it's easy to make computer-based predictions when we might be in a computer-based simulation. So <laughs> the pattern is not that hard to decode, apparently. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what if it is Inception? We're already one level deep and now they're creating another level. You think about these things, you know, I've thought about the, the Matrix idea for a long time. I just don't know how you would ever prove it out one way or the other. Uh, it's such an insidious thing to try to prove whether you're laying on a table somewhere and your mind is just creating this reality. Oh, right. I think about that with gaming all the time because I'm a gaming addict and uh, it's like we spend all this time in these fairly rudimentary artificial realities that are projected on a 2D screen when we got this one that we're you know, we have this body in right now that's a much more persistent illusion. So I don't know why we're obsessed with making polygonal, crude versions of reality to waste our time in when this simulation is pretty lifelike. <laughs> well, there's a reason for that too, man. It's about brain cycles, isn't it? For every brain cycle a human being wastes, that's a brain cycle that may, you know, was not able to do something that might matter, like figure out how to make this place better, or get out of this place or whatever a human might want to try to do. So, you know, in my lifetime, when I was young, almost all my time was spent out in nature. When I look at my nephews now, I'd say a good 80% of their free time is is spent in, a, you know, an artificial world of gaming. And not only that, it's about to get better for sure. You know, virtual reality is coming. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're just continuing to be dumbed down and distracted. Oh, man. Very positive way to start, but I'm also curious <laughs> about your sky watching this past year. Has anything changed? Are you still capturing strange chemtrail spewing orbs and lunar waves? Well, since I've come to the East Coast, I just don't have as much free time. Um, I have to actually take care of someone here, and the weather is drastically different than San Diego. The truth is, is if you want to catch things at the level I was catching them, you got to put in six, eight hours every time you can, each night that you can. The last thing that I filmed was the complete solar eclipse. And I don't know if you caught up on some of the, I, I did come to some conclusions on the tail of that last solar eclipse, but I don't know if you've kind of caught that work yet. Well, a little bit, but that was definitely on my list of questions for you is the solar eclipse because it was such a huge event, regardless of the weirdness there. It was just cool to have people across the country looking up from those smartphones in awe together, despite our increasingly polarized times. But I've gotten hit with dozens of people saying that it was either blocked by chemtrails or it just didn't seem right for one reason or another. I know you've said in our last show that the moon plays no role in solar eclipses, and that was before the one we had. So I guess I would ask you, what were your observations? Did that statement hold up? Well, I, I can prove it now. It's demonstrable. Um, in other words, if a guy from NASA walked into my room right now and wanted to talk about it, I could look him straight in the eye. And the moon does play no role in solar eclipses, and you can't talk your way out of it because I've got the evidence. 
But before I jump in here, the, the chemtrailing was out of hand. I talked with people all over the country. And for me to film here where I was three hours before the eclipse started, the plane started spraying. I had to put a full spectrum camera on a solar scope. And I also used other equipment. And I filmed it in its entirety with the one system I just described and most of it with another just optical system. But here's what I can tell you. Way back when I was in San Diego, when you and I were talking about this, I was already getting ready to say the moon plays no role, but you know, you need a certain amount of evidence. Back then, what I had done is taken everything I had to bear scopes, full spectrum cameras, you know, uh, filters of this type or that type, uh, solar scopes in H alpha and to do one thing, to detect the moon approaching what we're told is the solar eclipse. So people understand we're being told that the moon's going to cover the sun from our point of view. So I reasoned that if the moon is a quarter of a million miles away, accepting the NASA da data, which I think is a lie, but just to accept it for the argument, okay, we have a rock in space at roughly a quarter of a million miles that's being backlit by the brightest thing we know called the sun at 93 million miles. Um, so this is what I did, and I couldn't detect it. Well, in this last one, I went on it whole hog. And here's what I can tell you. You cannot detect the moon going into the eclipse. You cannot detect it during the eclipse. Uh, when you see that little you know, circular bite taken out of the sun, that blacked out portion, you can't detect the moon then. You can't detect it as the eclipse is ending. You can't detect the moon after it's all over. You cannot detect the moon. Now, if you have something that's only a quarter of a million miles away, which again, I feel is a lie, and it's backlit by something at 93 million, you should absolutely be able to detect it with the tools I had, particularly the full spectrum tools. But it gets better. Science tells us that the sun is an infinite light source. As a lot of people who follow me know, I spent most of the 90s as a roadie traveling with bands. And I met a lot of lighting people who taught me a lot of things. So this isn't just me taking science's word. I have a lot of experience with lighting because I worked around a lot of stages in the 90s. If you take a point source light or what's usually called a spotlight and you put it on a person, it'll cast a certain size shadow. If you move a spotlight closer to that person, the shadow will grow. Now, what's called infinite source lights like the sun don't do that. Regardless of the position of, a, of an infinite source light, uh, it will cast a shadow the size of the object casting it. So now when we go back, apply this to the sun, this is what we can know for certain. Well, providing that the sun is an infinite light source and science does say that it is, it's harder to find this now, but all my life I've been looking this up and historically we have been told the sun is an infinite light source and I think that's correct. Anyhow, the shadow of the eclipse we were told was roughly 70 miles across. You know what that tells us? It tells us that whatever eclipsed the sun is 70 miles wide. These are not arguable points. I defy anyone to detect the moon. I used some of the best tools I could get my hands on. It took me half a lifetime to get that kind of power in one place at one time. And then if we just take the basic physics of light and science, uh, we can demonstrate that an that infinite light source uh, casts a shadow of the size of the object casting it. So there's all that. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah, I think the official story is that the sun will burn out, but it'll be billions or trillions of years from now. I mean, that's basically infinite from a lifespan of a hundred years, but I guess I'd ask what is transiting the sun during that eclipse? Anything? I think the best descriptions that I've heard, and I'm not an expert in this. I have started to look at it is the ancient Indian ideas of nodes 
and Rahu and Ketu. I think that's worth people's time if they want to look into that and try to start to crawl into all that information and work out whether that is a possible explanation. My cursory looks, it looks like it's got legs. It looks like there's a there there. But it's like, you know, look look what I did with the eclipse, Greg. You and I have been talking for years. Look how long it took me to come out to say, uh, factually, there is no moon involved in a solar eclipse. So it just these things take time. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you, maybe you could elaborate a little bit. I know it might be a big thing to untangle, but what aspects of their description do you think jive? Like what, what excites you about their perspective? What resonates? Okay, to be perfectly fair, um, I'm not educated enough to go very far into this, but my cursory glances watching other people make this claim, well, let, let me back off getting into the technical reasons for it. What I have found since I've been doing all these years of research is that many times the oldest information you can get your hands on is often the most valuable information. In other words, you know, like you opened up this this podcast talking about what school is these days. I presume there was a time way, way back sometime when school was not what it is now, when it was truly meant to educate you. I'll leave it at that to say that these older ways often have legs. For people who want to know the nuts and bolts of the idea of the Indian astrological nodes and Ketu and Rahu, just look it up and start to get into it. I'll talk about it more, but I feel like I need to expand my knowledge base before I you know, record myself talking about it. Mm-hmm. Well, fair enough. So does anyone have pictures of the moon during that solar eclipse somewhere else in the sky? Well, you see, the moon would be what's called new, and that plays into it, too. In the same way, when I made the announcement, I don't know what it's been, a couple years, maybe I don't remember. I was in Rhode Island when I did it, so probably within the last two years, that it's quite likely space is water. That was another thing that I've been working on all these years. What I finally did is took apart language when my telescope couldn't get me any further down the road. Um, and what I took apart was the JFK, we're going to the moon speech, but most people have heard that story. To get back to what you asked me, the moon is called is what's called new. In other words, it's completely blacked out. I would invite anyone when there's a fully new moon, wholly new, in other words, completely blacked out, see if you can detect it. Quite often we get reports of people seeing stars where it should be or seeing through it. But I'll take you to language again. Why the hell do we call it a new moon? Isn't that the moon that's been in the sky for millions and billions of years? As a matter of fact, when we get past new moon, we start to call it a young moon. I would maintain that language has meaning, and we say these words for a reason. Uh, it may not be obvious to all of us right now, but we're working in that direction. Uh, what I can tell you is, is apparently, uh, and I've tried a number of times to film a new moon, because when a moon is new or very young, there are many reports of it being see-through. And so you can see the crux of where this this conversation goes just by, you know, deductive reasoning, I guess. I don't I don't really need to go any further, I guess. <laughs> well, I have had more and more guests actually saying that they believe that the moon gives off its own light. And I just think that's pretty wild. I mean, that's such a interesting thing for people to be willing to put themselves out there on. I mean, that's a real bold claim. But surprisingly more and more people are saying it and i did interview sophia smallstorm who talked about life and death and the sepsis cycle this idea that we have cycles of growth and decay sun and moon and that the agenda is to keep us in biological darkness but really the point would be that the moon as a counter to the sun has light that comes 
from it that actually facilitates that decay side of the coin. And it's a lot to take in, but she's basing it off ancient accounts as well. Like you mentioned, some people are saying that there's so many games being played today, you got to go to the ancient stuff to get a good idea of reality. The older stuff you can get your hands on, in my view, the more value you will find if it has avoided the modern edit. In terms of what you just described, I don't have a problem with a person going at it like that. I think it's helpful. I think it's literally helpful. I will back anyone who wants to come on and say the moon generates its own light. I think that's probably what's correct. I've even gone at it with prisms, taking apart sunlight and taking apart moonlight through my scope. These are not easy things to do, but there's also the whole idea that moonlight is cool. In other words, uh, if you were to measure the temperature in direct moonlight and then in the shade on the same night, that the moonlight temperature would be actually cooler than the shaded portion. There's people that have started to go down this road. I've never seen it kind of completely quantified out so we can say case closed, but I've seen enough to know there's probably a there there. In my view, it's probably not even possible to walk on the moon. When people ask me, you know, a long time ago after I shot the lunar wave, I made the mistake of trying to describe it as a hologram. I wish I hadn't have done that because so many people got wrapped up in the technology of a hologram. And so then I immediately changed how I was trying to describe what I didn't have language for. I called it a facade. And that was kind of problematic in the same way. So this is what I now say about the moon. The moon is not a rock in space. It's a hell of a lot closer than we've been told it is. And it likely generates its own light. That's what I say now. <laughs> Man, that's wild. And I've heard you, of course, say that the moon is interesting, but the real key to figuring out the construct is the sun. And I do like that. I think that is where the focus should be. But have we gotten any closer to knowing what that is other than a big ball of gas, a gigantic nuclear furnace outside of the eclipse window? What's the sun's general purpose other than, you know, what we're told? I can tell you that I don't accept the, the giant ball of burning nuclear gas. I don't accept any of that. Um, in my view, space is misdescribed. Even the world we're standing on is misdescribed. And while I'm not a member of the Flat Earth community, I appreciate that there's a community out there challenging because I wholeheartedly will state anywhere that this place we live is misdescribed. I've proved it. I can see too far. I proved it with good optics over a lake in the desert. But to get back to the point here with the sun, I think you're absolutely right. The, the sun, in the same way the lunar wave was an important piece of footage that I accidentally captured in 2012, I think the sun may be the next big thing. And we got glimpses of that during the eclipse. There were plenty of, plenty of people who got footage that showed like this miniaturized exact replica of the eclipse that you could see going on just to the right of the moon. And it was not camera flare. It was not internal mechanics of the camera. It was actually there locked in frame. The movement of the cameras told us everything we needed to know. And I've become pretty expert at that, having had to defend the lunar wave all those years. You know, camera movement and, and how things get captured becomes critical in understanding whether you filmed an event or whether something else is going on. But there's also plenty of people who have claimed to film things around the sun that they want to make the claim the sun is artificial. I don't know what to do with that because I'm a guy who needs to do it firsthand or at least be very good friends with the people who did it. So I understand what they're telling me is a true thing. But to cut to the chase, I, I agree with you. I think the sun will be key in unraveling things a little further. Mm -hmm. And you said you're not part of the flat earth community. I respect that. But you have said that you don't think we can get out into space. 
that space moves around us rather than us moving around it, and that this seems like a plane of existence. So it seems like even though you might not be part of that community, at least conceptually, you're more in line with that model than uh, the traditional? Well, I guess that model would be a little bit closer to what is probably going on, but I'll state for the record, I suspect that if there is ever a time we understand where we exist, the truth will be so damn shocking that everything we ever knew in a day will change. Everything we ever did in a day will change. It will be that kind of earth shattering, that type of information. What I can say is from all the observation I've done, from all the deductions I've done, from all the filming with high-end telescopes I've done, it appears that nothing goes out of our atmosphere. Nothing, not satellites, not people, not machines. And that there's some kind of a hard, fast barrier. Religious people like to say, well, we told you that's the the firmament. But I would point out, and while it does say that, and in my view is probably likely pretty close to correct, um, it's not the only major religion that does that. There's a number of them that talk about waters being separated from waters. Even if we go back to things like Omar Khayyam and the uh, Arabic writings from you know that era gone by where he says things in the Rubiat like, and this inverted bowl we call the sky, under which crawling cooped we live and die, something to the effect of don't bother to pray to these things because they're as impotent as you or I. There's all these references in the older kind of scriptural texts or even uh, things like the Rubiat of Omar Khayyam, which I just tried to quote badly, I might add, um, that point to what I'm, what I'm talking about here. There does appear to be some kind of a hard, fast boundary. For my money, nothing goes through it. We've never sent anything out of our atmosphere man or machine. Now, what about the ISS? Because I've seen a lot of footage that seems clearly fake, where women have their hair up in hairspray. You think it would be netted or something because this is supposed to be a sterile environment. So I feel like that's a little bit strange. But I've seen plenty of footage that is faked. But also, when you look up in the sky and you look online at where the ISS is supposed to be, you can see something that looks like it. So I don't know what that is, and it makes me feel like maybe I should walk back some of this stuff, because how do you put something in the sky that looks like what's being described, even if this footage, a lot of it might be fake? Well, let's use a little deductive reasoning. And by the way, seeing a light in the sky does not make a spaceship. Um, You can see a light in the sky any night. Fair, but it's more than just a light. Well, I, I I will agree with you that there is a light that comes by at times we can see. Um, I've tried to film and it's not an easy thing to do with a scope. There are others who have showed us pictures. Um, if what they're showing us is to be trusted, then in fact, the shape we expect to see is similar to what we'd expect to see. But I've done enough work with things, you know, taking optical values apart when I had to defend against, uh, like the Huffington Post attacking me, telling me I was filming satellites in half geosynchronous orbit. When I got optics experts together to break it all down, we began to show that if, in fact, this thing they're telling me is 11,000 miles away was, in fact, 11,000 miles away, it'd be three, four times the size of the International Space Station, which is by far supposed to be the biggest thing we've ever put up. But let's set all that aside for a second. I can demonstrate with almost any image I'm ever handed that was supposedly taken in space, I can take it apart. Sometimes it's as easy as putting it in Photoshop and jacking levels to show all the edit marks and all the, the kind of tomfoolery that's gone into making a constructed image. Usually it's not that hard. But when they do a good job at it, then you go at it in a different way and you start to show that these were done by artists. 
How is it that we don't have endless pictures of this world from space at this point in time? You know, how is it that uh, an international space station astronaut hasn't bothered to poke a camera out the window to, to show us the 15 or 20,000 satellites orbiting the planet. Yeah. There is no image of a satellite in space doing what satellites supposedly do. But let's get back to the Earth image for a minute. Apollo 16, Hasselblad, out the window of a capsule in space, took a picture of Earth. Apollo 17, same thing. They stated the time they did that. 2002, the supposed blue marble. We can prove beyond argument that each of those is faked. With the two from the Apollo missions, it's as easy as cheesy. Um, you compare them, the land masses are wrong. They don't mass, mass the mapping geodetic survey data. We can show clouds were cloned, that these are constructed images. In the case of Apollo 17, they gave us the time the image was snapped. In the modern age, someone just rolled the clock forward to show that the wrong portion of the Earth was lit. We jump up to the 2002 blue marble. We can tell you the damn name of the artist who made the the image and the quote that he is attributed uh, something to the effect of NASA gave me data so I made this image in the way I thought Earth should look and again the clone cloud problem you've never seen a real image of this world from space why is that you've never seen a real image of anything from space you've never seen a real footage of a satellite when you put all this other deductive logic around what we're being told it becomes pretty bulletproof to say things like the International Space Station is not in space with people on it. So that's where I'm coming from. Well, I think you make a great point, especially about the pictures from the ISS, because they've got dozens and dozens of pictures, hundreds of them that all have the same kind of angle and show you the same type of scope, which is like, I don't know, 25 percent. 30% of the planet's surface and some space out there, and you don't see a single satellite. I mean, what the hell? Are there tens of thousands out there or not? Because they're definitely between the ISS and the Earth. Well, let's, let's take that apart real quick. Not too long ago, I saw a mathematician calculate out. I think he used 15,000 as the number. I guess it could be anywhere from 15 to 30,000, and that's not even counting all the space junk or the supposed broken satellites that we're told exist. And he calculated out using statistical mathematics that if, in fact, there were that many things orbiting this world, we should see something transit the moon regular a uh, number of times every three-hour period. I'm here to tell you that I've stared at the moon for month after month after month, six, eight hours a night, and there are plenty of nights when I film nothing. Plenty. More, more nights that I film nothing than I film something. And that's putting in six to eight hours in a lot of cases. Um, I'm talking about filling up some hard drives with HD video, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so so there's these kinds of ideas. The, the problem becomes is that people have been trained to accept what the guys in the white lab coats are pushing. When you say, no, I'm not doing that anymore, and you logically go at some of the things that I've pointed out here, you understand pretty quickly there's no satellite, – satellites don't exist as they're described. They just don't. And if I'm lying, well, then I invite any – international space station supposed astro not to poke a camera out the window and show me well show me a thousand of them how's that that's a small percentage of what we're told is there so point your camera out the window for 10 minutes how about that <laughs> uh, you'll never see that footage because that footage can't exist man cheers to that and i just looked it up because i wanted to be sure but they say that satellites for the most part are 200 miles up and the ISS is 254 miles up. So 
again, in all these pictures of the earth, 50 miles from the lens, why aren't, aren't there just all these boxes of tinfoil floating around? Because that's what they're supposed to look like, and that's where they're supposed to be. Right. Well, I, I mean, think about this. The average person listening to this has seen what they're told is satellites at night. You know, like if you're in the desert, you see these lights going perfectly straight across the sky. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. What's lighting that satellite? Well, you're being told it's reflecting sunlight. That's why you're seeing a glimmer of light. Every person in this world has seen an airplane fly over. That's not how the sun lights an object. There will be brightening, glinting, that kind of thing. You won't see a stably, constantly lit thing horizon to horizon. And that's often what we see with satellites. Occasionally, you'll see them just simply blink out from a constant light source to a blink out. But yeah, man, think think about the movie Gravity. You know, if you had a person who didn't know anything about the culture of this world and you showed them that movie and informed them that, in fact, that was shot in outer space, they wouldn't be able to tell you any different, would they? That's kind of where we're headed. So, you know, all this back work we've done through the Apollo missions to show the nonsensical nature of what we've been handed, it's going to get more difficult to do that if, in fact, they start putting some Hollywood might behind it. Because I would defy anyone to look at the movie Gravity and, you know, I mean, it looks real. Uh, everything about it looks real. It's incredible uh, when you think about what what they've done in that movie. They've made up a place that doesn't exist. You know, it's like when we did we did an episode not too long ago to show that zero, the idea of zero is an aberration. It has no natural existence in reality. And we equated it with space. You see, because you've been you've been convinced that space is a place that doesn't exist, yet it's right over your head. You can see the mind game that goes on here, the lowering of a, of a complete human mindset across an entire world. And space plays into that, in my view. You know, make up your mind. Is space a vacuum? Are there particles there? Where does space even start? Go ahead. Try to look up where space starts. You might read 60 miles. You might read wherever the hell the Kármán line is. You might read something close to 100 miles. But then on top of that, you'll be told the ionosphere fluctuates from 30 to 40 miles over your head all the way out to 1,200 miles. Well, an ionosphere is charged particles. If space is a vacuum and it starts at maybe 60 to 100 miles or wherever they want to make up that line at, um, how the hell can we have charged particles all the way out to 1,200? When we logically go at these things, we find problem after problem after problem. Using deductive reasoning, we can understand that we've been lied to. I love it, man. And I've also heard you talk about the fact that most of the ideas that we think we got from science actually come from Star Trek and Star Wars and 2001 A Space Odyssey, especially our ideas of space. And the idea of satellites came from H.G. Wells first. So it's just interesting to see that we have all these ideas of what should and shouldn't happen in space, and they just come from Hollywood. They absolutely do. And, you know, it's, I, I hate to even say it here because we've said it so many times, but you've been told over and over the Red Hot Chili Peppers told you not too long ago, space may be the final frontier, but it was made in a Hollywood basement. Truer words were never spoken. It's just that people don't have the context they need when they go through school, when they hear songs. They need a better contextual way to think about what they're being presented with the average person thinks well that's a clever song someone wrote no they're in fact telling you a pretty important truth think about when is the first time in modern society when we all started to get the image of what space looked like what a spaceship would look in space what would it look like if we were orbiting a planet what's it look like if someone goes near light speed well that was 1966 wasn't it 
It was Star Trek. It was followed up in 77 with Star Wars. There have been any number of things in between there to help solidify this kind of dream state that's been woven that convinces us all. It gives us almost like a, a primordial archetype in our minds of what we expect space to be, what we expect a planet to be, all these things. But you see, there's no basis in reality. In the same way I just told you we don't have any real images of a satellite. You've seen pictures of a satellite. Did you watch the movie Gravity? You see, you know, that, that really tells the tale, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And you mentioned you're on the East Coast now. You might not have been filming as many things in the sky, but have you gotten to see any rocket launches in person? A lot of them happen out there. No, not yet. I've got people that I've got to take care of right now here, but I've talked to people who have watched it and I got, you know, people had sent me footage and their firsthand testimonies were that those rockets are not going up. I've always maintained the rockets are going into the ocean. Um, as a matter of fact, I got... <laughs> frantically called a few nights ago from my nephews who witnessed the uh, fake X launch and they were you know calling their uncle to find out what the hell were they were seeing in the sky everyone was stunned but that tells the tale too if you're SpaceX and you're going to do this amazing thing you're going to send a rocket into outer space wouldn't that be on the evening news for the whole week until it happened so everyone could go out and see the amazing things you're doing this is not what happens what actually happens is people see this crazy ass thing in the sky. Some of them might get some crappy cell phone footage and then they all call the police and say, hey, man, something's in the sky. You see, this is not a normal world, a normal world where people are doing amazing things like taking a terrestrial based rocket and sending it off this world into outer space would be announced. It would be bragged about. Look what we can do. Look at this amazing thing. It would follow one of the laws I made up out of thin air, which I think holds water. Anything that is amazing in the modern age will be filmed in high definition if it can be filmed. And you see, all these rules get broken when we start to logically break down what we're being presented with. I don't disagree, man. And last time we talked, about a year ago, last January... When it came to the earthly terrarium, you said it was too early to start devising a new map of the construct. We can see the lies, but we can't necessarily make a better map of what it actually is. What about now? Do we know anything more? No, and in some ways it's gotten worse because, you know, it's the, for the same reason I don't belong to any groups because groups get infiltrated and people who want to, you know, stymie the efforts of a legitimate group trying to learn something. It only takes one or two people to go into that group and ruin it. Um, and we see this going on in the flat earth community, which was probably, honestly, the first version of that a couple hundred years ago, put together for the very same reason it's put together now, so that people can be misled and confused and all these other things. The problem is the average person doesn't have a good way to get high enough with good filming equipment to bring home some evidence that starts to show the things that are problematic with what we've been told. But again, you know, and I state this over and over, I suspect the real truth of how we got here is going to be so, for lack of a better better way to describe it, earth shattering, um, that there's more than one reason it's been covered up. Because if I'm correct, there's no natural explanation. You know, if, if you have this ball spinning around in space like NASA has handed us, you know, it's spinning faster than the speed of sound. It's orbiting many times the speed of a bullet around the sun. The sun is, in fact, orbiting many, many, many times the speed of a bullet around a galaxy. The galaxy is orbiting many, 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 many times the speed of a bullet in ever-expanding space. 
you know, if you go down what that model is, you can naturally make up stories for it, like gravity pulled all this stuff together and made this ball, which eventually became a moon or a world or whatever. What I suspect is true, which I'm not really willing to outline without, you know, a hell of a lot more evidence than I have that's concrete. Uh, is, is that there's not going to be an, a, a, an easy natural explanation for how all this came to be. And then, of course, that'll probably throw us all back into the matrix argument for some period of time. I don't know what happens at that point or if we even get there. But to cut to the chase, Greg, someone's got to go awful damn high with a really good camera that doesn't have a fish eye on a nice clear day um, and bring home some evidence. That's what it's going to take. <laughs> Man, I got to get you and Eddie Bravo together. You guys would just fuel each other for hours. But that is a, the curious question is how it came to be. We don't know what it is or how it came to be. And that is the big mystery because when it comes to the history of the construct, if it were a hunk of rock in space, at least we have a story that supports right. how it would come into existence. If our environment is something other than that, I mean, we have no idea. Well, it's a bit, it's a bit like being a baby in diapers, right? You know, a baby in diapers that's just learning to talk can be convinced of anything by an adult, anything. And no matter how outlandish, you can probably get that very young child to believe what you're putting forward. In the same way, if you put that child in a room and turn out the lights, it takes almost no effort to scare that child. This is what's been going on in this world. Uh, terrorism. It's going to scare all us children, isn't it? Um, we're going to be scared with this shooting or that shooting or this bomb or that building blowing up or this nitrogen fueled truck full of stuff into the Oklahoma City building or that school where a million kids needed to be killed for some reason once this week because it only happened twice last week. This is what goes on in our world. And in fact, what it does is it allows the alchemical transmutation of human minds into a fantasy-based reality, and that's where we exist. There's no getting away from it, and I know a lot of people think that's a shocking thing to say, but I'm sorry, it's a true thing. The next morning that you look up or wake up in the morning and turn on your television, and the first day that you ever have a clear-minded adult view, you will instantly understand what that television is doing, what it's always been there for. Then you're going to look around and you're going to turn on the radio, and all of a sudden, you're going to understand something about the popular music you've loved your whole life that has eluded you your whole life. This is a construct. This place we live is a construct. The people have been brought up to believe in basically mother goose fairy tales. And the way this has been accomplished is misusing alchemy to transmute minds into lower forms of human mentality, maybe not far from what Sophia's Smallstorm, uh, what you were describing, she was talking about this kind of dim cycle. But the real problem here is the way it's done now mostly is with fear because everyone is so damn afraid of everything. And, you know, if there comes a point where we can get beyond so easily being scared of everything, uh, more higher minds will emerge. And then when more higher minds emerge, this construct is not long for this world because it does not take many people um, that have woken up and can see clearly to begin to chip away at that stone. Touche, my man. And Another thing that I really liked from our last conversation is the idea of hidden landmasses. You had mentioned this thousand-year-old Buddhist map that was unearthed that shows our grouping of continents within an ice ring and then 33 other continents outside of it. And that is just a mind-blower, man. This kind of thing 
appeals to me a lot. How <laughs> likely is it to you that regardless of the shape, that there could be some hidden land out there? Oh, I, w- I would be willing to bet. Um, and while I can't tell you if the Buddhists, I think there were 33 land masses. So there's your yeah. thumbprint. But um, I can't tell you the authenticity of that. I know it exists, but I don't know the person who had it last. I don't know the chain of custody. I don't know any of these things that I would absolutely need to know to put my chips on that marker. But this is what I can tell you. If I am correct in stating that this world is misdescribed, almost without wasting another brain cycle, we can deduce that there's probably land masses we've never heard anything of. We even have examples of it in the supposed Admiral Byrd down to the South Pole idea where back in the 50s, we were being told that beyond what they call the South Pole is more land than Europe and the United States combined with many times the amount of resources. Well, really? How come we've never heard of any of this in the modern age? Where's all the footage that we could have in HD? And why are 52 nations guarding the border so no one can go in there? And while I'm at it, why the hell is everything named after a royal person? (laughs) But to, to set all that aside, so many people look up and they see the chemtrailing or they see the fluoridation of water. There's just the wholesale destroying of what we perceive as natural systems. You know, we perceive nature as a perfect system from our point of view, whether it's natural in the way we think it is or not. That's true. It does appear to be perfect in the way and from our point of view. So when we see people chemtrailing and pouring things like fluoride into water sources, it's a bit befuddling. And the argument you always hear from people is, well, how can this be going on? Because why would the elite be poisoning their own air? Why would the elite be poisoning you know, their own water supply or their food supply. Look what's happened to our food supply in this country. I would point out two things. First of all, everyone's not the same blood type or the same gene pool. And in in the same way that certain people can drink alcohol without too much adverse effects, there are other people that if they drink alcohol, it's not going to be pretty because their body doesn't appreciate alcohol for genetic reasons, um, for blood type reasons. But if we expand this out to counter the argument, why would they do this in a world they live in? What if there's land masses you've never heard anything of? I can prove to you right now there's at least one, and that's called Antarctica. You've been told that there is more land beyond the South Pole than the United States and Europe combined. Have you ever heard about it? Well, there's your first example. There's apparently a hell of a lot of land that you've never seen a single picture of in your lifetime. And by the way, more resources than anyone's ever seen was what we were told in the 50s. So <laughs> there's, there's that. Right. And I get that it's at the South Pole, supposedly, but it is interesting that there's a landmass that large. No one disputes that, that has zero fluctuation in its composition. It has zero diversity. It's a landmass bigger than the United States that is just ice. I mean, that's a little weird. There's no other example of that really on the planet. Everyone everywhere has a little bit of diversity, it seems. Well, the Admiral Byrd footage shows that it's not frozen. A lot of it's not frozen, according to the Walt Disney movie we were shown from their 50s expedition. Um, that's what they're claiming. But, I mean, come on, man. 52 nations guarding – I'm pulling that number. It's roughly 52 kind of treaty nations. I don't know how – I don't recall how many there actually are guarding the border. Um, and who do you see go down there? Well, Prince William will show up at that silver ball. Um, Anthony Bourdain will take a film crew down there. But guess what? I'm guessing your next-door next neighbor, Joe, hasn't been there. We all know that Antarctica is key to understanding something more crucial about this place we live. We all know it. The people who have studied it, 
we all have different ideas. People will talk about an ice wall. People will talk about, uh, you know, an infinite plane where, you know, if you kept walking from Antarctica, you would go on forever. There's just more land, more land, more land. I don't have a problem with any of those arguments. You know why? Because they're challenging the lie we know has been told. That's my point of view anyhow. But again, the Admiral Byrd footage claims that quite a bit of what they were willing to supposedly show us was not frozen at all. And actually, actually a lot of it had lakes and things that weren't frozen. Yeah, man, I keep an eye on drone technology because once we get to the point where I feel like we got a decent range, I feel like you got to send something up there because whether the earth is round or flat, whatever, I'm a hollow earth guy. At least that's what I want it to be. And no matter what your paradigm, that's how you find the answer. So these people who are spending a couple thousand dollars to launch a balloon here or there, it's like get near Antarctica or get near the North Pole, get in those areas, at least close to them. So when you have a camera going up 150 miles, you can actually see out. Yeah, you know, the the technology is already there. Um, that's another thing that's kind of stunning. Um, and this is part of what we see on the censorship online. It You know, AI controls so much of what goes on online. People have no idea how much of it is run by AI and has been. Even though AI, AI has only recently made it into the news, it's been going on for probably decades. My point is this. Some guy somewhere uses the great technology we have at our disposal to do a live feed recording of a camera he sends up. He may not even be able to recover the balloon when it comes down, but it doesn't matter because he recorded it off the live feed. So he doesn't have to worry about GPS and finding the source thing that he sent up in the air. And then he posts it online. You know how easy it is for AI to make it look like he's had 150,000 views. There's comments under that video, but like three people saw it. You see, this is the ultimate control of information systems that we kind of started at in the beginning. This is the problem with censorship. What if someone already has shot this incredible evidence that you and I are talking about here, and he thinks 200,000 people in the world have seen it, when in fact three have, his Aunt Martha and his brother Billy? You see, um, this is what AI can do. AI can do things that that a human being would never be able to unravel. As a matter of fact, AI connects in blockchains, as you mentioned. It seeks to hook up with all other AI and networks on the planet. It's even stated in modern astronomy. In my last astronomy magazine, The Rise of AI and Astronomy, where they're talking about the damn AI writing mathematical equations that people couldn't possibly understand, even if you had a million of the smartest guys in the same room. See, that's where this is going. So we have other problems, you know, to be sure. We we have to do things like stand up against censorship because the free flow of information is the only thing that's going to allow what I know to be propagated out to what you might want to know or someone listening to you might want to know. And when we use things like Google and, you know, online sources where AI is basically running the show, probably at this point, you might post a video that's the most amazing thing ever known to man and you might get a thousand comments the first day when in fact ai wrote it all how would mm -hmm. you ever know how would you ever know right great point that is a thing on reddit that happens they call it a shadow ban they ban you and you don't know you've been banned so you're leaving right. comments and you think people see them and that's how they get you and yeah extrapolate that out you think it hasn't happened other places you think it can't be more sophisticated of course it can well, you think it's you, you think where the sophistication will certainly the most sophistication will come to bear is when the most important information is being outed. You can bet your bottom dollar on it.
someone wants to come challenge this freaking matrix like dream we're living in and they've got solid information getting it out to the people will probably be much much more difficult than the actual obtaining of the information that is so all important in the first place that's what i would submit mm-hmm. and another thing i was gonna point out to you or or mention here is that in terms of odd descriptions that don't match reality you know maybe i'm stretching but i think it's really interesting that throughout the Iliad and the Odyssey, at least a dozen times, Homer refers to the sea as wine dark. Other people have used that also, and it just makes me wonder what environment they were looking at to come up with wine dark as a description, because it's almost the opposite of what I would think of the sea. Maybe it's just some poetic language, but it also could be a different environment that's being described. Well, there's another thing to, to consider here too, Greg. Um, and In so many of the older things I get my hands on, uh, many years ago when I began to realize that just the act of translating into the language that I speak, some things can't be translated. You lose something. Um, take an something like, here's an idea, like the Quran. Anyone who is Islamic will tell you, if you want to read the Quran uh, as it should be read, you need to, to speak this language or you lose the whole kind of poetic cadence and meaning in things well we can go back to maybe some of the most complex languages that ever were people claim sanskrit may have been one of these things where the modern mind doesn't even really fathom the multiple meanings that could be embedded in what we would consider a simple sentence and on top of that many times it's kind of a poetry almost like a song narrative as you get to it so i would point out that if, in fact, things like the Iliad and Odyssey, and I first read those, I think, when I was 16, fell in love, read them many times since, love the lines like rosy-fingered dawn, you know, all the things he says, but we've got to, to take into account, if they're truly as old as they're said to be, uh, those were taken out of at least one language before they made it to us, and that's problematic because that means we need to go back to the source, find the words that were translated that we think are interesting, and try to discover if they were translated properly. Mm hmm. Yeah, great points. It's just that adds another layer of complexity and confusion is the translations. Nothing. Nothing's easy, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing under the sun. So when it comes to space and NASA, we really have two big announcements from them that have come lately. One is the presence of this asteroid that they say came from outside of the solar system. Uh, Muramura or something like that. And then they announced the discovery of a solar system that's out there that has pretty much the same configuration as we do. And these are two big stories that they've given us lately. We don't trust things that NASA says, but knowing how esoteric and symbolic they can be about everything, why these stories? Just perpetuating the space lie or do they have a more specific agenda behind them? Well, to talk about this, we're going to need a flower and a male chicken so we can say poppycock. Um, let, let's get to the let's cut to the chase here. Certain lies have been told, like the moon landing. These are lies that have to be maintained to the end of time. You saw Bush the Jr. helping to maintain these lies when on his watch, he got astronauts to stand behind him and say, we're going back to the moon. How many years has it been since that can was kicked down the road? Part of this is kind of a metaphysical mind screw where archetype symbols, narration, narrative are all manipulating in, in a kind of like Pavlov's dogs, almost in the same way that Pavlov rang, rang his bell and the dog salivated. It's a similar thing they're doing here, uh, playing off all the things we've experienced from television shows to newscasts to movies to everything to spin this ever 
this never-ending lie that they have to maintain. There's no basis in reality for it. Um, you want to tell me there's a space rock out there? Yeah, sure, man. Uh, you better have some pretty damn good drugs in your bag if you want me to even consider um, that any of it is true because it's not. It's just it's a it's a mother goose fairy tale. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily something I believe, but I'm really interested in dissecting the game that's being played or that particular thread. Another one of these things would be that recent disclosure, quote unquote, that came from the Pentagon. Uh, there's a couple of things here. I mean, it's kind of exciting to see that stuff talked about at least at the same time it's like pretty transparent that it's manipulation because you have tom DeLong meeting with the cia and john podesta and making the media rounds now and then we have this story that just hit the mainstream that the pentagon admitted to running that ufo investigation program for five years they say it costs 22 million which is nothing by the way in pentagon dollars but they actually created this release and put out some quote-unquote official UFO footage. And, you know, again, it's exciting because it's better than the usual silence, but people should be aware this isn't some genuine disclosure. This seems like part of something less honest, I'm sure. But have you seen this stuff? Do you have any opinion on it? Are we being prepared for something? Yeah, you're being prepared for another lie. Let's, let's be adults in the room and let's take apart what we're being handed. Tom DeLong, where's he from? He's from entertainment, right? That's what Tom DeLong does. He entertains. Let's take apart that word, enter, to go in, tain, to hold, meant, mine. Tom DeLong works in an industry where the very label it is given means to go in and hold your mind. Tom DeLong, for some reason, is going to go work with the CIA, the military industrial complex, but not just any old military industrial complex, the cloak and dagger side of that complex. So how in the hell is it that a guitarist from a band or a singer, whatever the hell he is in that old band he used to be part of, is even qualified or in any realistic way, shape or form going to be going to meet with the CIA for this big disclosure that's coming? It's just a mind screw. And if you want to be an adult in the room and look at the sources and logically do what I just did here, what, are we going to hear any true thing here? I, I would be willing to bet that the only true thing you are going to hear is that they use consonants and vowels from the English language. Other than that, everything you're going to hear is a lie, a manipulation, a weaving of a tale, you know, for for Lord only knows what ends. Um, it's it's hard to ever predict what what might be coming on the tails of these types of things. But, you know, if you followed the work Jason and I did, we basically showed that the modern ufology construct is claimed lock, stock, and barrel by the Tavistock Institute. We did the independent research to show that gray aliens were basically invented by H.G. Wells. We've shown endless times who H.G. Wells was, the circles he was in, his closeness to Tavistock and royal circles. We went at the reptilian idea, the modern reptilian idea, not the Kabbalah or the Emerald Tablets or these other things. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Um, people have strong feelings about it, and they're entitled to view these things in any way they want. But the modern reptilian idea was brought to us by a college professor who actually lifted the idea from Conan the Barbarian. So modern ufology as it exists is just more nonsense brought to you by the social engineers that are Tavistock. I cannot tell you what may or may not be alive in the universe if there is such a place. But I can tell you flat out that modern ufology, starting basically the roots of all of it, go to Roswell on the 33rd parallel, get it? Um, it's all nonsense. It's all brought to you by basically Tom DeLong and the CIA, <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> 
And I could really just talk to you all day, man, but we got to reach the end of the road somewhere. I guess I would also ask you, what what have you covered this year that you think really pushes the envelope further than something like a facade for the moon or the facade of the moon? Like, what do you think is the most epic thing you've looked into this year? Well, the blood thing that I mentioned where we were looking at RH Factor was certainly one of the more impactful shows. Uh, but again, uh, episode 70 where I covered the solar, the last solar eclipse and then finally flat out said the moon plays no role. If these things are correct, they're foundational. These are big, big ideas, big deals. They have a lot to do with how we live. Um, so those are two that I would point out right out of the gate. But we've done a ton of stuff on the Tavistock Institute and even the Masonic coding and, uh, and, relig- and religious scriptures. Um, we've proven these things out. It's not really arguable. It is what it is. But uh, those are the things I'd point to uh, within the last year, I guess. Right on. All great stuff. And any idea what you're going to be digging into next? Yeah, I think we're actually going to take on Team Rat or Disney. Um, we were looking at it and uh, we've talked so we've done so many space episodes where Werner Von Braun, who was a Disney employee, came up. Uh, we really started to look at the crossovers of Disney propaganda and wartime. Uh, we're just going to dig into Disney and uh, and show because Disney is for certain one of the biggest entertainment corporations going so many subsidiaries and tentacles and franchises even having its hand you know in the 80s we just did an episode on the 80s when the the vcr and the camcorder came out that's really when porn began mainstreaming Mm -hmm. when the mindset of what's acceptable in our society began to change very few people are aware that disney had a lot to do with the mainstreaming of porn because they launched a subsidiary named buena vista and Buena Vista was big into it. It's just that nobody understood that Buena Vista was part of Disney. But anyhow, I'm not sure where the road's even going to lead us because we're just getting into the research now. But, you know, how could it not be interesting, to, you know, covering Disney in the way we do? Hell yeah. I love that study. Well, Crow, it's been a blast talking with you again. I take nothing at face value. I know you don't do that either. And that's the way to be. I like kicking the year off with a conversation about these things that you've been deconstructing. And I'm really glad to know you, man. Anything else to add for the people before we go crow triple seven radio. Yeah. You can find my podcast at crow triple seven radio.com. The word crow has two R's in it. So it's C R R O W. So crow triple seven radio.com. And believe it or not, my, my YouTube channel for now is up and running again. It still has two strikes against it, but that's just crow triple seven. Um, come check us out on crow777radio.com. I think there's, what, 88 free hours of content. Uh, I, I actually modeled after Greg when I set this up. Mm-hmm. Greg was one of the earliest people to interview me, uh, and I realized that there was an interest there. But anyhow, Greg, it was good to catch up with you, man, and I miss, miss talking to you, and I miss my hometown, man. <laughs> I bet you do, man. Well, awesome. You are the goddamn man. This was great. Take care of yourself out there, pimp. All right, man. Cheers. Cheers. There we have it. Crow 777 dropping knowledge like a Brazil nut in a crosswalk. It is great to hear what he's been up to. It's been about a year and a year is kind of a long time, but I guess it's still not really fair to expect him to have figured out this human terrarium in 12 short months. And maybe we'll never have it nailed down 100%, but I always like to see where his head's at with it. I know he's not ironing a flat earth society patch on his letterman jacket just yet, But I heard more little hints that he's leaning that way. 
Personally, I'm just at a loss because flat earthers like Eric Dubay or Jaronism tend to make the argument that if we can't trust the scientific experts, then we have to trust ourselves and what we can observe. And no one denies the earth looks flat from the ground. But the problem is, if you leave the science, NASA, and the Vatican astronomer deceptions out of it for just a second, and you move up a rung on the Gnostic ladder, the demiurgic material environment is illusionary in itself. So I don't even know if you can trust what you can see. And besides, if you're one who entertains the Anunnaki approach to human origins, then our bodies, the very shells for our non-material nature, are also tweaked and twisted to have a limited range. If we just trust the observer effect, do we deny the non-visible light spectrum? I mean, just because we can't see it, we know there's things that are there. If we have a stuffy nose, do we acknowledge that smells are still out there? Or did they all disappear because we can't smell? I'm only saying that our senses can be deceptive, of course, because we don't even know who built the human vessel or if they had good intentions. And there's an argument to be made that, suspiciously, the scale of the Earth and the range of our vision are just perfectly aligned so that our first natural conclusion would be that the Earth is flat. Does that make it accurate? Or is that just the deceptive nature of the demiurge right there? I don't know, but there's still quite a lot wrong with the official story. In fact, if you have seen that one photo that NASA has given us recently of the dark side of the moon with the Earth in the background, it's honestly the most fake-looking thing that they've ever put out, in my opinion. It looks like the cardboard from under a $5 pizza spray-painted gray. The scale is all weird. It just looks nothing like a photograph. Well, that picture was the number one post on the front page of Reddit a week or two ago, and I immediately wanted to check the comments because Reddit likes to shit on conspiracies and hold the torch of scientism so close that it burns their eyes. But with this photo, how could at least some people not be talking about how it looks like computer graphics? So I check it out, and sure enough, the top post was from the moderators, and it said, the comments on this post have been locked due to a flood of anti-science and conspiratorial comments. Let it be known that this will not be tolerated and any anti-science or conspiracy remarks, even if you're joking, will result in a ban. I mean, wow, you can't even joke? We're not at MIT here. This is a Reddit comment section, for Christ's sake. Seems a bit extreme to me. If the image is real, it should just be able to stand up to criticism, shouldn't it? When is it ever a good idea to ban people's ability to question something that they find off? It's going to make them very suspicious. So that's just an anecdote that I think explains the drive for some alternative thinkers to go to such extremes. And it also highlights the draconian direction that Reddit has been going like we didn't already know. Something's fishy for sure. And the internet is only being more refined to trip us up in the search anyway. And speaking of the internet, you know, I'm really sorry that Crow has had such a stressful go with YouTube lately, but I think the answer is to leave platforms that censor alternative voices, not to get Google to change their ways. If your content is good, then it's valuable, and if they're making life harder for you, then just don't give it to them. It's like a housewife whose husband beats her so she goes to make him a sandwich. Why are you giving your work to someone who's trying to keep you down? 
They cut off my AdSense early on, so I found a different way to make money from my content, but they've never really taken any of my shows down or created a problem in that regard. I consider putting the free show up on YouTube just an advertisement to get people over into my system. But if it was a constant headache to keep my channel online, then yeah, I'd probably move. Personally, I think I'm going to be trying out Steemit and DTube or DSound this year if they get them working just a little bit better. But Crow is right in that we should demand better, no doubt. The last show with Jen Briney was about the same thing. Of course, I would love for us to demand better, but I spent a lot of my 20s trying to rally everyone behind half a dozen worthy causes while we lead some charge to collective freedom through demonstration, and all I ended up with was disappointment. Maybe I've grown too cynical, but I stopped trying to change the world or to get people to agree on anything and organize. Instead, I just navigate the ride in the paths of least resistance and maximum utility. We got less than a hundred short years. Even if you fix the world by 80, you can't really enjoy it. It might sound defeatist, but it's actually quite freeing. And to speak broadly about something that I'd love to see change in 2018, it's this rigid commitment to only hearing opinions that are an exact match for your own. So many of the THC comment sections will say things like, Oh, I really enjoyed the guest up until the point that they said X or Y, and then I had to just shut it off. Look, I recently watched the latest Dave Chappelle specials, and not only did they blow me away on multiple levels, but he makes a point about imperfect allies, and I think that is just such a great term. It's spot on. Let's judge people less on how well their details match up exactly with our own, and more on the overall quality of their character or at least their intent. Do they mean well? Are they trying their best? The point is, we're going to grow more and more isolated from each other if we can't accept some differences, if we can't accept some imperfect allies. Appreciate people for their strong points, for what they're good at, and seek common ground. I might not agree with someone's point about this, but man, did they really nail that. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes I meet a person and it takes a long time to find some common ground, especially if football's on, but it's in there somewhere. And if you find it, you'll find reasons to like people rather than to wall them off. Sometimes a person thinks we should all be vaccinated because they just believe what they've heard and they don't want to research the Marisol and they just can't fathom that it would be a weaponized attack against the people. That's okay. They're not a paid shill. (laughs) I think it's better to understand, for example, why both liberalism and conservatism would appeal to different people rather than just plant your flag for one team. I guess you could say the same about the different opinions people have about the Earth's composition. Can't you just hear them out and say, well, you make a couple points with this and that that are interesting, but I'm not convinced. Let's just smoke a joint and watch some Black Mirror. If you ever hear someone say, I don't get how in the world someone could ever think X. Well, that sounds like their problem. Sure, you may disagree, but if you can't wrap your head around why someone might have a certain ideal, it's because you probably haven't asked or really thought about it from their perspective, and you just trolled them instead because you're just concerned with being right. Well, being right doesn't change the world around you. It doesn't really get you anything. There's just so much being fired at us these days, so much vitriol. It's just all quite exhausting. 
And that's a unifying thread that I think supersedes how a person feels about the Affordable Health Care Act or the goddamn fake moon. But I do love these types of episodes overall. I think Crow put out a lot of great information, a lot of interesting things, especially around that eclipse. I'm really glad we got to talk about that. I've been waiting to talk to him about the eclipse for quite some time. I think it's a great way to start the year off. And in the second hour today, if you didn't hear it, we talked about questions like, is the stage being set for a mock alien invasion? If all the things Crow has filmed in the sky could be chalked up to human technology, what about the tens of thousands of entity experiencers? Is there some non-human element to our environment? We also got into Spielberg, demons and aliens, the vast manipulation of time, alchemy, nature, magic. I also asked Crow what he thinks society might look like in 10 to 20 years, which opens up a whole can of worms. And we talked about Admiralty Law and the Strawman Corporation and how to track it. That's a topic that Crow has been into quite a bit lately. And for good measure, we talked about Bitcoin, which Crow refers to as the human bait, <laughs> which I think is a good term. So I actually enjoyed asking Crow about a ton of different things and topics that don't usually relate to our usual conversation. I still hold out hope for Hattie Bow, but I guess we got to find someone else who is taking up that mantle. But even more than just this one show, consider signing up for Plus because January has some great return guests. I wanted to set the table right, so we'll be getting deep into the Song of the Siren Saga Part 2 with Chris Knowles and then bringing back Gordon White to drop that wizard knowledge on us once again. So many classic guests coming in hot, and I think you're going to like a couple of the surprises too. Also, now that we can plug the Higher Side Chats Plus into the native podcast app for iPhone, we have several great options for Android, and we've greatly improved the Plus server to run faster than ever. Plus has never really been more convenient. There's also Patreon, Checks by P.O. Box, and several cryptocurrency options. So I don't know what else you would want. Pick up six months for 30 bucks and test the waters. Full archive, robust forum, and the best goddamn conspiracy podcast that you know of. And that's how we bring in a new here. I've done my part. Your move construct constructors, consciousness suppressors, and satanic sorcerers of time and space. Your fucking Lucid dreams are so vivid Cause you go to bed at seven And your brain comes alive Cause you hate your nine to five You wake up with a dread And make sure your cats are fed Did your brain talk to a ghost Who moved your coffee and your toast As you listen to the higher side chats You get to your desk And your boss says it's a mess And your soul slowly grows To a place where nothing grows When you think he's not around You insert a SETI sound The OM says turn it down And you say it's just the higher side chats Oh, do you think you'll be invited To Bohemia Grove To a Bilderberg Club Oh, do you think you'll be invited by a Rothschild to a party on a submarine Diving down to the center of the earth Through the Marianas Trench Your teeth begin to clench from the sulfurous stench The mask you're given doesn't fit Cause you're not one of them 
Starting today, you'll make plans to get away. There's no one to hold you down, and the what ifs start to drown. Then you wake to the glare of a cold fluorescent stare, and the light winks at you, 'cause its life is almost through. But it's holding on to quit time, just like you. It's time for the high side chats. 